Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hello and welcome to Girl on Fire podcast on the Believe Network, New York's number one podcast network for personal growth. This is your host, Kirsten Franklin, and on this week's episode, we have a leadership expert who specializes in the practical applications of neuroscience, emotional intelligence, and positive psychology, synthesizing the science and research into simple, practical tools that anyone can use. And as the CEO and founder of the Langley Group, Sue has taught thousands of business leaders how to create positive work cultures and really harness the brain's potential. You can see her at, on TEDx Whitehall Women. She's also been featured in the award-winning documentary, Make Me a Leader. Uh, it's kind of about neuroscience and psychology of how leaders can optimize the brain and body performance to thrive in the 21st century. And she's also been featured as an expert on the hit ABC TV series, Redesign My Brain. Everybody welcome, Sue Langley. Welcome, Sue. Thank you so much, Kirsten. It is a pleasure to be here today. Awesome. I love it. I love it. So for those of you guys who don't know, uh, Sue is on the exact opposite side of the planet as me. I'm here in New York City and she's out there in Australia. Um, So I'm going to open with this one, you know, Make Me a Leader. Talk to me about that documentary. Yeah, so that documentary was made by a colleague, friend of mine, uh, Silvia Damiano, who was looking at um, leadership Uh, around the world, what are some of the key things? But her and I both come from a similar approach uh, from the neuroscience perspective, as in what is it about our brains? How do we get the best out of our brains? How do we ensure that we are performing at our best on a day-to-day basis? Because it's really hard to lead other people if you are not performing at your best. And we kind of all know that. We kind of all know that self-leadership is important first But not many people think of it from a neuroscience perspective is, can my brain actually perform at its best? Okay, awesome. So actually leading into that, I mean, like, tell me a little bit about your background and how you even got into this whole genre. Yeah, well, believe it or not, when I was 18, I was a long distance lorry driver in Europe. So that was uh, my first sort of career, if you like, for about 18 months. Uh, then I travelled the world for a year. Then I joined the travel industry and I was I had a number of leadership roles over the years. And one of the things that I noticed is um, quite a few years ago, I went on a course that didn't call it emotional intelligence. It was more of a professional development, but it was very much around the self-esteem, self-image, those sorts of things from a professional capacity. And I, um, I kind of took what I learned. And in my leadership role, I was a general manager at the time. I closed my office one morning a week, closed everything down um, and taught my team some of the things that I'd learned about emotions, the science of well-being, not that it was called that then, um, self-esteem, self-confidence. I didn't teach them anything about selling. Um, I was teaching them about themselves. And I noticed that our profits doubled two years running, even though I had never done sales training with them. And that was my sort of first realization, I suppose, both for myself and for others, that you can teach people a process, you can teach them a sales process, you can teach them Cotter's eight steps of change, you can teach them all sorts of process-orientated things. 
But if I am not performing at my best, then I am not going to use those things. You know yourself from a health and well-being perspective. You might know what you should and shouldn't eat. You know you should get exercise and all these sorts of things to look after your well-being. But if you're in a grumpy, miserable, negative mood, you're still not getting off your sofa. Um, so really, that's the sort of stuff that I uh, sort of then started delving into. And when I moved to Australia, I started my own business in the area of EI, positive psychoneuroscience. And I've been lucky enough to uh, I've been trained by some of the leaders in the field. And for the last 20 years, this has been my area of expertise. And thankfully, now I'm also seen as a global leader in this space. Um, and I love it. I love seeing what people do with it, how they flourish, how they be their best as a as a parent, as a leader, as a teacher, all of those sorts of things. When you see what people do with what they've learned, it blows me away. Yeah, it's, I think it's pretty cool. I mean, this whole sort of come up in this area of science, thinking about positive psychology, thinking about really people touching upon the neuroscience in this way, is fairly new compared to other sciences, right? I mean, I remember when I was, a, I think it was like in high school, when I think I first even understood the term positive psychology. And this is way back before the even internet existed. So I don't even know how I came upon those words. You know, I was like 18 in high school. And I've just always kind of been interested in it. Um, you know, always following Tony Robbins. Uh, he was like the first one out there, right? Like kind of talking about these kind of things and, and just mindset wise, right? And not really going into what really that really is, the science behind that, but just even getting that to the forefront. Um, so it's pretty cool that you've been here for so long and, yeah, and well, really in positive psychology is only really about 20 years old as a science. And, um, and I have to admit, I winced a little bit when you said Tony Robbins, don't get me wrong. I've done some Tony Robbins programs. It's great. But Tony Robbins would not be classified as positive psychology from a scientific yeah. perspective. And, right. Not at all. And to be honest, um, many people actually don't understand what positive psychology is. It's, it's, People understand it from a superficial level often, and the interest in it, you're absolutely right, is huge right now. Um, but actually getting into depth, and, and it's interesting because uh, we run a diploma of positive psychology and well-being, a government-accredited qualification. Uh, and I know in the US, diploma means something different, but this is sort of like post-graduation uh, sort of level. And um, one of the things that's really interesting, and it happens all the time, I had a new group kick off two weeks ago, and literally their minds are exploding after unit one because they thought they knew what positive psychology was. And literally all of them are like, okay, I am now completely overwhelmed. And I'm like, awesome. After unit one, you should be overwhelmed. Now let's put your brain back together again. Um, and positive psychology, the science of positive psychology is a lot different to pop psychology. Now, don't get me wrong. There's overlaps in places because some of those things around mindset, as you said, is um you know, it's valuable. But I suppose what I like to do is absolutely, as you said, put the science, put the evidence behind it. And that's where the neuroscience also can come in really well, because it's then not just about, oh, let's all be happy all the time. Isn't that great? But it's actually looking at what goes on in your brain from a neuroscience perspective and neurobiology perspective. What are the chemicals you're releasing? And why does this stuff work? And that's where it gets really interesting. That's awesome. So why don't you get, if you're able to, why don't you, um, I would say first kind of talk to us and define these things for us. I think it was really good that we just touched on, first of all, emotional intelligence. 
positive psychology and actual neuroscience. Yeah. Right. So the way that I think of them is uh, emotional intelligence is the science of emotions and how we use them intelligently. So if you think about what that means, we all have emotions all day, every day. It's about the scientific study of emotions. What are the things we know from a physiological perspective, a brain-based perspective about how emotions work and how do we use those emotions in an intelligent way? And if you think about what emotional intelligence is, you know, people say, oh, that person has emotional intelligence or that person doesn't. We actually all do. It's sort of a continuum. And they've done some really good studies that have found that if I give you an, a social emotional problem to wrangle with under an fMRI scanner, everybody gets there. It's just those higher in emotional intelligence get there faster. And that's really what I like to think of emotional intelligence is how am I getting more intelligent about the use of my emotions so that I can get there faster. So I don't spend three months wallowing in my misery or two weeks feeling anxious. I can shorten that and I can deal with these emotional issues um, more effectively. So simply put, emotional intelligence is the intelligent use of emotions. Positive psychology is the science of human flourishing. Whether it's individual teams or organizations, it's looking at the science of human flourishing. So as I say, some elements of the sort of pop psychology sort of books that you'll read, they have now been scientifically studied and some not necessarily validated. And many other things that have not come out of that, that have come out of the psychology space, have been validated and supported. But as you said, the, the science of human flourishing, which is what positive psychology is, is only relatively new. It's 20 years as far as that science. Now, of course, it's built on the back of all the other 100 years of the deficit model of psychology. So it's not thrown that away. But think about the science of human flourishing. What it does is it looks at how is it somebody who says they're a plus seven? What are they doing? And what can we learn from that? And how can we apply it to others? A team that might be really performing well or an organization that is flourishing and making a difference in the world. Let's study those and see what they're doing so that we can learn from it. So positive psychology, the scientific study of human flourishing, if you like. Okay. And neuroscience is really the study of um, the nervous system, so not just the brain, although that's where people often focus, but the nervous system and the neurobiology, so the, the chemical elements and the electrical impulses that um, are our nervous system. Now, obviously, it concentrates a lot on the brain, but even things like I, I spent um, uh, several weeks, two years ago, at the Neuroscience School for Advanced Studies and um, looked, I spent one week with the leading neuroscientists in the world on the microbiome. So that also links from a neuroscience perspective because we know bacteria makes its way to the brain and it has an influence on our moods, on a whole range of things that I probably haven't got time to go into here. But when you look at the study of the brain, and the way I look at it is from a neuroscience of leadership perspective, whether it's leading self or leading others, right. is the practical application. So many people will look at the study of neuroscience from a how do I cut your brain open and fix certain things that might be going on from a surgical or a medical perspective. I look at it from a life perspective. How do I look after my brain to be the best that I can be? Well, I love that because I think that's a perfect entree into the next question, right? Why don't you give us some examples of this practical application? So let's take an example. I mean, here we are in the midst of a pandemic. Everyone had to do a 180 right? There's leaders all over the place. Some are, you know, resilient and stellar and others are feeling like they're about to drown, right? Give us some practical applications of these sciences and how they can play out in our everyday life and make them make it better. 
Brilliant. Thank you. Yeah, so I think there's a few things. So um, one of the things I always look at is what is fuel for the brain? So how do I, just like fueling a car, how do I fuel my brain to be the best it can be? And we know that amongst many other neurotransmitters, dopamine is essential for your brain to work well. Um, so if I think about what fuels my brain, um, eat, sleep and exercise are basic functional needs of the body and the brain. So I always say to people, if all else is falling apart, what can you do to try and keep those foundations in place? Eat, sleep and exercise. But the other thing that we know is negative emotions cause dopamine levels to drop. Positive emotions cause dopamine levels to rise. So one of the things that I focus on is eat, sleep and exercise and positive emotions. If I can embed my life with five minutes here and there with positive emotions, it's not about being happy all the time, but it is about generating some positive emotions. So if I give you some practical examples, um, yes, I will go for a walk even when I don't feel like it. I will often sort of make myself do stuff because I need to. Um, but the positive emotions, I write down three things I'm grateful for every night. Now, the research tells me apparently writing it down once a week is better than writing it down once a night, but I have tested it on myself. I have a saying, treat yourself as a scientific experiment, and uh, I find writing it every night is really good because my brain is now rewired in that it looks for things every day to put on that list. So that's something that I do. Um, I really focus on my physiology. So we know from all the science of emotions that your body is caught up in emotions. So if you think of emotions as data, as information, and it's trying to tell you something. So when your body is feeling something, there's physical sensations, it's trying to send a message through to your body and your brain to let it know what's going on. So one of the things that I do is I very much tap into the body, which is a term called interoception, about sort of going inside and sensing. So I'm very aware of my physiology. So if I'm feeling something, I said to my husband last night, I said, I keep feeling this, um, you know, in my stomach and it's, it's a sensation of disgust. Um, now, he obviously knows me by now and knows I'm a bit weird. And I'm like, why am I feeling disgusted? Well, I know why I'm feeling disgusted because we're meant to be moving house soon. It keeps getting delayed and I'm feeling more and more disgusted, if you like. I know it's a strong word about the things around me that I can't wait to get away from. And disgust, if, you, if I take it one step further, I know that the trigger to disgust is something or someone offends me. And I am now finding my environment just really, really like I can't wait to get away from this and get to my new environment. So I'm feeling this sort of sense. I'm feeling frustration in my body. I feel myself getting sort of tense in my throat, in my chest, because, again, frustration is on the anger spectrum. That means something or someone is getting in my way. It's blocking me. And I'm being blocked from getting to where I need to go because of delays in things. So understanding the science then helps you deal with it because you can go, okay, right, I'm feeling disgust, I'm feeling anger. This is the trigger. Yeah, that makes complete sense. Okay, what are you going to do about it? Well, you can't change the date of when you're moving because it is what it is. So what are you going to do to be grateful and savor any good stuff that's around you for the last two weeks because you have only got two weeks left? And so, therefore, you find yourself shifting. Now, I know that's kind of a long-winded answer, but if you know the science, you get there quicker. Right. And that's a really important thing to do is doing things every day that enable you to use this science, whether it is random acts of kindness. One of my diploma students, she, um, I, I was reading an assessment from one of them the other day, and she said, I was having a bad day. I was feeling really grumpy and down because of COVID and lockdown and whatever you, and... Um, 
She said, I made up batches of gnocchi at home. And um, she said, I put them into little plastic containers and I um, wrote people's names on it. And I snuck back into my previous workplace, which is essential workers. She said, I snuck back into where I used to work and I left them in the fridge. And she said, I snuck out. And she said, I automatically felt amazing thinking of their faces when they go to the fridge and see that there's a little bowl of gnocchi for them. And I thought that's so cool. So she recognized she was feeling down and a strategy to help her was to help somebody else. So those are the things that if we put them into practice consciously, not just because we're a nice person, but because we actually really want to do these things for our well-being, it works. Right. Right. Awesome. I love that. And I love the fact that you were talking about the, uh, the gratitude. And I actually do it also. And I do it actually every morning instead of yeah. night because I want to force myself to think because I wake up and I'm very much someone who can horrible get used to things real fast. So like, you know, when I first moved to like Miami Beach, it's gorgeous. It's tropical. I was probably not even seeing it after a month. Like I didn't see it or feel it anymore, like probably within a month. I can get very like <laughs> assimilated a little too quickly, right? So that's that's a practice. So when you were saying that, I was smiling. I was like, yes. <laughs> um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And again, there's a whole science of that around adaptation. Uh, you know, wonderful work by Dan Gilbert that has looked at that science of how we adapt to the good stuff and sometimes the not so good stuff. And you're absolutely right. Gratitude and savoring is a way of hanging on to that, of really being able to stop and go, wow, how lucky am I that I live on this beach? Let me just stop and take it in with all of my senses um, so that we can reduce that sense of adaptation. Right. Hang on one second. I'm hearing my daughter at the, the, the door here. Um, I was like a little bit of stuff going on there. Um, sorry, that just threw me off. <laughs> but okay, So awesome. So you were talking about uh, some examples of practical applications um, and... Let me ask you this. So I love the gratitude um, and I love the, you know, uh, charity, right? The giving away to help others because it's absolutely, I think that's probably one of the number one ways uh, that you could do something simple, right? Sometimes when it's yeah. not about you because you can't mentally get there and, and focus on you and focus on the things around you. Yeah, but even again, sometimes people misunderstand, like the whole random acts of kindness, people see it, well, I'm generally kind, you know, someone trips in the street and I help them up or somebody drops something and I do that, etc. But that's not what random acts of kindness is about. That's just spontaneously being a nice person. Somebody trips in front of you, the spontaneity is hopefully you help them up. <laughs> um, but random acts of kindness, you can plan a random act of kindness for months. The mm-hmm. idea of random is it's random to you, the recipient. I could be planning it for weeks and weeks and weeks, et cetera. But what we know about random acts of kindness, again, is what's the motivation behind it. If I'm only doing a random act of kindness because if I don't do it, then I'll look bad, that's not going to give us the same hit. If we're only doing a random act of kindness because we're seeking to feel good ourselves, then it probably doesn't work. And again, it's really interesting because I know in the, in the American Constitution, it's built in of the pursuit of happiness. Right. We actually know that when people pursue happiness, they're less likely to achieve it. Right. But what we do know is when you put day-to-day things in your life that generate more positive emotions, then your happiness is likely to increase. Uh, and that's the interesting thing that often people don't want to hear about positive psychology is 
Positive psychology is not a spectator sport. You don't just read a book and go, I know what it's about. You actually have to do it every day. And sometimes people don't want to hear that in this day and age. And, and exactly as you just said with the 180 and the, you know, the pandemic situation, my concern is people are much more likely to want to reach for a pill to make themselves feel better as opposed to what we know is we have to put effort in. I absolutely have my days where I feel terrible. I had to have my pussycat of 19 years put down the other, the other week. And the good thing is I know it's really important to wallow in your grief for a little while when you lose something of value. Now, some of you are probably thinking it's just a cat who cares. Um, but when you lose something of value, it's important to feel sad and to sit with that discomfort. Yeah. Um, and sometimes people, well, I'm stop you there because I think that's super important because I don't think a lot of people realize that because I think that on the surface, they read these books and they believe that they're supposed to not feel something negative ever. And they're actually creating this worse situation by shoving it down and feeling nothing yeah. so that it could all just last back up one day. Like you're driving over a bridge and all of a sudden you have a panic attack because everything you shoved down decided to come out right there. Right. So talk to me a little bit about that. Yeah. So again, a saying that I have, and I'd love people to take this on is get comfortable with the uncomfortable emotions. When anxiety comes up, it's okay to sit there. Everybody gets anxious now and again. So being able to go, okay, I feel anxious right now. I'm okay. And being able to just sit with the discomfort. Um, but you're absolutely right. Sometimes we try and suppress it. And what we know then about suppression is the more you try and suppress it, the more your brain and your body are going to remind you that you're feeling it and it's going to come out. And it comes out as diseases of the body or diseases of the mind. And again, this yeah. is something we don't often teach people is how to sit with your emotions, that all of your emotions are valid. As I said earlier, emotions are data, they're information, they're trying to tell you something. If you feel anxious right now, that is perfectly normal. Anxious is on the fear spectrum, which means basically there is a physical or psychological threat. Now, physical threat, absolutely. If you feel anxious, like, for instance, the COVID-19 virus or the coronavirus, you're going to feel anxious if that's around you. But often our anxiety arises from a psychological threat. There is nothing physically threatening us right now, but we go over and over in our head. And sometimes it's okay to go, do you know what? I am feeling anxious about the future right now. It's okay. Let me sit with it. And then go, what can I control right now to calm me down? And again, we know there's all sorts of really cool um, research around how you deal with anxiety. Um, anxiety is quite heightened in the body. So sometimes flipping it around excitement can be interesting because excitement is also high energy in the body. Um, things like curiosity has been shown to be an antidote to anxiety. So get curious about something you can focus on, you can control, actually reduces anxiety. So again, understanding the science gives you some tools that you can really work with. I love it. I love it. That's so valuable. So you just mentioned something about uh, fear being on the spectrum of, or anxiety rather being on the, the spectrum of fear. Talk to me a little about the spectrum or spectrums that you're referencing. Yeah, so one of the things that I think is really important for people to know is there are six what are known as primary emotions. And to be a primary emotion, it means two things. One is it has survival value. So if you think about fear, it has survival value, you run. Anger has survival value, you fight. Um, so it has to have survival value. The second component of a universal or a primary emotion is it's universal across cultures. And it's one of the reasons I love playing in the emotion space because it is about as inclusive as you can get. 
It doesn't matter your age, your gender, your sexuality, the color of your skin. We all experience these emotions. Right. So if you think about the six primary emotions, other emotions then secondary tend to fit around or are complex blends of these. So I mentioned fear is the primary. Well, other things that fit on that sort of fear spectrum would be things like um, uncertainty, worry, nervous, wary, edgy, panicked, um, anxiety, all those sorts of things, terror. They all fit, if you like, under that sort of fear spectrum. They're just different intensity levels. And again, most people don't know this. And if you do, when you have that moment where your heart is racing and you've got sweaty palms and the hair standing up on the back of your neck, to go, okay, I'm feeling anxious right now. Okay, what's the trigger? Physical, psychological threat, awesome. I'm not getting a physical threat right now. What's going on in my head? What can I do about it? It gives you some steps to work through. And I'm not saying it's easy, but if we go back to the way the brain is wired and neuroplasticity, the more I practice, the easier it gets. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And more becomes second nature, right? Absolutely, absolutely. So if you are going to leave our listeners with one thing, the most important thing that you feel that you could in this time, what would that be? <laughs> oh my goodness. I could, well, I do talk about this for days. Um, <laughs> I think one of the key things is um, all emotions are valid. Yeah. So it's really important to understand all emotions are valid. They are data, they're information. They're trying to tell you something. So try and get comfortable with the uncomfortable emotions and where possible, try and embed some positive emotion strategies in your day, even if it's two, three minutes. I have silly little things that I do. When I'm feeling down, my husband will chase me around the, the coffee table. It's things we've been doing for 25 years. It cracks me up. I feel like a five-year-old, no matter how miserable I am. I can't help giggling at the end of it. I have a little rebounder, a little baby tra um, trampoline in my next <laughs> But I'll bounce up and down for a minute if I'm feeling flat and lethargic. Um, I, I have jigsaw puzzles. So if I want to take my brain out for 10 minutes, I'll set my alarm on my phone, do 10 minutes on my jigsaw puzzle or 10 minutes on my piano. So I think it's finding little ways. You know, people like, oh, if I want to feel better, I book a holiday. Well, right now, you can't go to Italy for a month, so that's out. <laughs> uh, but what you can do is literally two minutes, five minutes, write in a journal, practice your gratitude, call somebody you love, send a stupid video to somebody. Yeah. You know, those little mm -hmm. tiny things make a difference. Yeah, absolutely. I love it. I love it. I love it. Thank you so much for your time. It was a pleasure having you. You're welcome. You're welcome. And if anybody wants to get in touch, then I am happy to connect with people. So that is it for this week. Thank you for joining me. And I hope that you enjoyed today's show. If so, don't forget to rate it. If you guys have a pressing question, feel free to tweet me at CS Thrive uh, or on Instagram at Thrive Tribe 3.14159. Again, I know that's a weird one. It's just pi. So it's three, it's Thrive underscore tribe underscore 3.14159. Um, or of course you can join me in Facebook at my free group, which is Thrive Tribe Global. If you just search groups and you enter in Thrive Tribe Global, you should see us there um, and you can join it for free. Uh, I answer your questions in there, but if you guys send me a question through there, I will be sure to answer it here on this podcast. And as always, if you're ever interested in advertising on the show, please contact the Believe Network at Believe, B-L-E-A-V, at Believe.com. 
Thanks so much for joining me. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.